All right, I'm back. Episode 21. I got Mike back again, and we're going to talk about last episode. You kind of mentioned it. Seems like his wheels are always turning. He's hitting me up with with videos and new stuff he's making, 3D printing and stuff that he's just kind of inventing or or trying to make better. So we're going to cover some of that stuff as much as we can on here and see if I can't get him to to post some pictures when I post this up on on Facebook, Facebook and Instagram and get you guys kind of in the, we're talking about it off the recording, but we're, we're always trying to think of what could we do better or what would make life easier. And, and uh, Mike's definitely got some ideas. So, so Mike, welcome back. I appreciate you coming back on and, and what you got for us. Let's let, let everybody else in on some of the secrets you've been. There are the secrets. Yeah. So I guess we'll talk a little bit about 3d printing process real quick. We won't get too much into it just, just so everybody has a, a relative baseline knowledge of, you know, what we're talking about. So I'm sure most people are familiar with 3D printing, but some aren't. And, all, you know, all 3D printing is, is uh, the type that I do is called the FDM uh, printing. There's other types, but the most popular uh, type method of 3D printing is the a traditional where you're putting layers of plastic on top of layers of plastic on top of layers of plastic. And eventually that, that prints up to be an object. So it works a lot like a traditional printer line by line, um, but it, it's three-dimensional. So it uses, uh, it uses plastics. One of the big knocks a lot of people say is, uh, well, it's, it's structurally in, in superior. Um, that, that is true to a certain extent. I mean, there are different types of plastics you can utilize that have different characteristics, uh, but for the most part, they're all considered like a thermoplastic. So the hotter you get them, especially closer to their uh, melting point, their physical properties will change. You know, they're not going to take as much heat as aluminum or steel is what I'm saying, but different plastics have capability of getting higher temperatures. Um, PLA is the most common type of plastic that is used for 3D printing. So if you see people printing like figurines and toys and stuff, it's probably made out of PLA because it's a very cheap and easy material to print out of. One of the biz- biggest knocks is it's not ver- uh, it's got a low uh, I forgot what the me- the technical term for melting is but it doesn't take heat that well if you leave it in your car in the sun it's going to deform and then it, it will degrade uh, a lot quicker than some other plastics the ones that I like to use right now there's a polycarbonate which is like the same plastic a CD is made out of and if you think about how thin a CD is it's actually pretty strong. Um, and they make bulletproof glass out of it. Um, so it's very strong. And I also use a nylon carbon fiber mix. So there's actually pieces of carbon fiber in the nylon. So if you think about how tough a zip tie is, but then you put carbon fiber in it to make it rigid, just think how much abuse a zip tie can take, you know, and then you put uh, carbon fiber in it to get it a little more rigid. Um, that's what I like to use. It's a little expensive. It, but you know, there, there, there's trade-offs to everything. So does so it, that, so that I, I'm going to be asking some beginner questions. So does those, the better plastics that you were just talking about the last two, do they still come on? Is it comes on a spool? Does yeah. It not? It's and just it, like changing the ink in a printer, right? Like it's okay. just a, it's a different product. It prints the process to do it. Like you'll need, you'll probably need different temperatures or print rates. There's a lot of different settings to get to a successful product, but uh, 
you know, that's just a uh, part of the process. It, the, the, the polycarbonate that I talked about, which is the stuff like uh, that's made out of bulletproof glass, it's very prone to warping. It's not a newbie print, print friendly material, if you will. If you do a large flat object, you're going to have to take into consideration the shape when you design it. So we'll, we'll get to that part in a second. So how long have you been? You, you talking about new? How long have you been 3D printing? So I was deployed for a while, but two years minus that deployment, a year and a half. So, and I am by no means an expert. There are people that are much more uh, intuitive with the, and they're a lot better at it than I am. But, you know, I've gotten to a point where I can think of something and, and print it. And if it's in multiple parts, I could print it. I, pr I probably couldn't do something where there's a lot of moving parts inside of it, like a engine or something i could figure it out it would take me a long time but um you know if it's a single piece i could probably print it pretty easily so you basically have a i don't know cad software so what i use uh it's free software that's called on shape um there's some there's always caveats to everything that you use but uh so on shape is the cool thing about 3d printing and the community of 3d printing it's very open source based so what I mean by that is a lot of people are very open to sharing their designs, um, even their machines. The machine that I have, uh, it's a Prusa MK3S. It's actually pretty much made of non-proprietary parts, but the company put these parts together and they, they sell it as their brand. But you can essentially build one of these off of non-proprietary parts. It's almost like an AR-15, if you will, where <laughs> everybody makes these parts, you know. And kind of like the AR-15, it's cool because there's almost a, it's not quite open source community, but there's so much stuff available. You can make anything you want, you know, uh, versus something that's more proprietary and, and locked down sort of thing. So the, the, the software I use is called Onshape. It's completely cloud-based. So I can, it's all on the internet. I can go on any computer anywhere and just log onto my account and pull up my, my designs and stuff like that. And they're open for anybody to look at, like they can go and, and pull them up and try oh, to damn. print them. So um, that's a cool aspect of it. So if you're trying to make money on it, uh, I'm pretty sure that Onshape has rules on making money on it, et cetera. I don't make money on any of this stuff, by the way. I print it for my own, my own intuition, et cetera, et cetera, my own use. So the way this pretty much starts is you start off in a piece of CAD software uh, we won't get into that, but that's probably the biggest learning cur curve is learning the, the CAD software. You take the, the piece that you made, it creates what's called an STL file, which is the, an extension that's very common for 3D printing. And you put that into what's called a slicer. There's very, various brands of slicers, but it, what it does is it takes that object and puts it into language that a 3D printer will understand. And that's also the time where you're going to adjust the settings for your particular plastic that you're going to print. Um, and if you think about what, when you design and when you slice it, you also have to think about the shape of the object because sometimes there'll be things that you need to do. Uh, for example, the, there are these things called a support. So imagine you have the, a capital letter M. Okay. And it, if you're looking at it from bottom to top, on the bottom of the letter M, you have you know the, the base of the letter. But as you go up, you have that valley 
uh, in the middle. Well, if you're printing layer by layer up, what is that valley? That valley is kind of floating in space as you go up. So what you can do is you can tell the software to port, print me a support. So what it'll do is it'll artificially create this piece of plastic that builds from the build plate to get to that valley in the middle of the M. So it has something to print on versus just being out in space. And it's just so, something you knock off later. Yeah, and it's designed to break off. Um, so you mentioned the slicer. Is that different software or is that yeah, different? It's, uh, so they have op open source uh, slicing too. The one I use is from the same brand of printer that I have from Prusa. It's called Slicer. It used to be SL3ER, but now it's just Slicer. There's a brand called Cura. They all do pretty much the same thing in a different way, just like any, any other piece of software. Um, so once you get it from the slicer, you put it into your printer, and then your, your printer essentially prints what you want. Uh, how, long, how long does a print take? Does it probably depends on size? It, and yeah, whatever. so there's a lot of variables in there. But if I wanted to print a gamer plate type sized object, that's about, with the plastic I'm using, about 11 hours, 11 to 13 hours. Oh, wow. Um, if I wanted to print, let's say, the something the size of a bullet, that might be two to three hours. So, and then if you're going to go something really small, like a, a throw lever, that might be 30, 40 minutes. So, um, and so when you're, I guess we'll go a little bit back to the designing is when you design it, you kind of have to think about one of the limitations with 3D printers because it's layer on top of layer. When the parts break, typically what happens, it's from delamination. So it breaks along the grain, if you will. Well, if you know what way the stresses are, you can try to put that into your design and try to avoid those, those stress fractures. Um, and sometimes it's just like, you might have an idea in your head, but it's completely impossible for the printer to print, you know? Um, so that there's limitations to it, but I, I just equate it to modern day woodworking. You know, it takes a little <laughs> yeah. bit of skill, but yeah. uh, one of the analogies that I've been given about 3D printers, and I think it tr holds true, is uh, the, the point where 3D printing technology is today is almost like when you bought a Model T back when those were, you know, you, when you bought the Model T, you also bought it knowing you were going to work on it and you knew how to work on it because it was going to break down. That's where 3D printing is today is when you buy a 3D printer, it's, you're going to break something on it. There's going to be a huge learning curve. So you're going to buy it knowing that you're going to invest time in fixing your mistakes and fixing the machine because of it sort of thing. It'll yes. improve, obviously. That, so you, you mentioned the workout. So how many... What do you think the ratio is to you're probably you're obviously better at it now, but building something or 3D printing something that didn't work out the way or like you're talking about it wasn't with the grain or stress yeah, fresh compared so that, to that's a hard one to say. So my print success, like just getting an object to print correctly, now I'm down. I can pretty much do it my first time as long as as I, as long as I've used that plastic before. Now, the other aspect of it is like you have an idea in your head and then you print it and then you get to actually play with it and it's not what you thought it was. Right now, I'm right around four to six times on it. You know, it's 
it's really cool to be able i mean it's really cool to be able to print something that's in your head and then immediately get feedback on it and the investment really if you yeah okay it took 11 hours to print but guess what i printed that when i was asleep so right right whereas like wood woodwork or something like that it's going to cost you a lot of time to get it done so there's not really that much of a quote unquote investment in testing your ideas. So it's really awesome for prototyping, but it's terrible for mass production sort of thing. Yeah. Cause I know you were, when we, one of the first times we met, you had, you had printed the, which they're all over the place now that you were, you had the first one I'd ever seen. You might not even remember this, but the, uh, to load your magazines for an AIC, Oh yeah. AICS magazine without yep. tearing up your thumbs or your fingers. You, you had had one out there at the range. Like what are you using? And then when I printed it, I actually made it so I can print BR or uh, load BRs too. I know like after I made mine, I saw some come out and then I was like, well, when I, I forgot what order it was, but I just remember I, like I printed one for a BR before I had seen one for a BR which was, and the reason I did it is because uh, I had some finicky BR mags with, I forgot what kit it was, but um, you know, I printed it exactly when I modified the kit, I, I actually took the internals out of the BR kit uh, that came with it. And I printed it differently. In my opinion, my, my design was a little bit more effective for my setup, but because I printed it a certain way, I had to like, print my own we'll call it a thumb saver for the most part and i changed the geometry so when i printed my own thumb saver i printed it because that's how i had my setup which is nice because you can do stuff exactly to how you want yeah see i think that was the first time i'd ever seen it i was like holy that that was awesome because i'd never seen it before i hadn't been on the internet enough because i think i was shooting six five back then so i wouldn't the whole br piece i wasn't even into yet and yeah you're out here just jamming magazines full of that. What in the hell are you using? So yeah, you, you've been doing this for, for quite some time. But. Yeah, yeah. So a um, couple of the stuff I printed or we'll, we'll talk about. Yeah, I did that thumb saver, which was cool. Um, I did a BR kit, like I had mentioned, and it was really cool to be able to, I saw how the rounds were actually feeding in my exact setup with my feed lips you know, adjusted exactly. And I thought, okay, if I make an adjustment here, um, I, I have to make an adjustment also here, but I was able to tune it to exactly how my rifle liked it, which was pretty cool. Um, I've got a Brabo Ridgeback stock and I would say 40% of the components on that damn thing are, are 3d printed things on there. Um, so, I really like the Graybow Ridgeback stock, but for me, the the amount of distance from the palm swell to the trigger, there's a huge gap. And also the palm swell, the vertical height is very short. I didn't like how short it was. So I 3D printed pretty much a, a cap, if you will, that went over the palm swell. And I dramatically reduced the size between that reach between the, the palm swell and well, the grip area and the trigger finger. And then I, I blew it out to width wise as well, significantly. And then I did various things with that 
uh, grip design. Like I added a thumb shelf to see how that worked. I tried different character, like different sizes of thumb shelves to see how it worked. Uh, I ran a, what action was that? Uh, deadline ultimatum action, which is a 60 degree bolt throw. So I was able to fine tune that thumb grip just right so that my hand would clear the, the thumb rest while still running the action on the limited travel that the 60 degree action had. Um, I settled on a design without the thumb shelf, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it, it was cool to be able to put a thumb shelf on there without, like, you know, uh, drilling into the side of my, my stock. I put a, a little night vision bridge on, on the front of it just because it looks cool. It's not really that, all that functional. Printed a two-round holder. And when I printed the two-round holder, I was able to print it to the exact size of the side of my stock. You know, some designs, you'll have a little overhang. So when you go run it on a bag, it digs into the bag a little bit. Does yep. that really hurt performance? I don't think so, but it looks a little weird. Um, and then I made a design that was Velcro on and off, which is pretty cool because it's hard plastic. You can just take it off if you're if it's messing you up during a stage sort of thing. Um, but the cool things that I've been working on lately is uh, I did a, a shooting plate, gamer plate, whatever you want to call it. And uh, so what I did with that is I know there's various ones that are on the market. They're made out of aluminum. They're great. Um, but I made mine particular to my setup. So I carry too much gear as it is in the first place. I think we I'm almost probably all in the same boat as a lot of people, but I carry a game changer and I carry a uh, precision underground uh, rear bag. And those are the two bags that I really try to limit myself to. And if you, um, I wanted to be able to take my normal Schmedium game changer and put it on a plate because I don't want to carry a crazy uh, extra bag or buy a bag just for uh, a gamer plate. I wanted to be able to take my plate and adapt it to the game changer. So I designed one pretty much. I designed it to the exact size to fit on top of a Schmedium game changer. And then I designed uh, the QD swivel mounts. You know what those are? The, push button swivel mounts. Yeah. I put one of those on each end so that I can quickly connect and disconnect the, the game changer. Like I could theoretically do it during a match, but I'm, I'd shy away from that because it's not super, super fast. You can get in trouble, but nonetheless, it, it comes off quickly and goes on quickly. Um, and then I designed it in a way so I could run the, the bag on the side or normal vertical. So you get a little bit of usability there. So it's cool that it can run the game changer, but in some stages, there'll be like a narrow slit for you to put your rifle in and the game changer is just too big and yeah. it won't fit, but you can fit uh, a smaller bag. Well, my rear bag uh, has straps on it anyway. And I was like, well, I could design that thing to fit the Schmedium game changer, but also I could use my rear bag as a, a front support as well. So I put a notch in it and it, it's designed in a way that um, if I tighten the plate completely, the, the bag is completely locked in. It will not, it won't release or anything like that. And for me to get the rear bag out, I'd have to unscrew, uh, loosen the, the fastener a little bit, but then I can take the, 
the rear bag off and then just re retighten it take about five seconds to do i wouldn't do it on the clock during a stage but you know it's cool that it's permanently affixed it's a lot lighter than a game changer um so there, there will be scenarios that i can use it and the cool thing is it's it's gear that i'm taking with me anyway so it's not like i'm adding gear yeah. and then so, uh, so just to explain so it's that's the that's the the bag that you sent me in the video correct yeah so this kind of like so for the listener it's kind of like a it's like a pancake bag it's not but what an inch tall it's yeah it's probably inch tall inch wide and then five by six ish so yeah so you could you can fit this into like windows that like you were saying you can't put the medium in because it's four or five six inches tall this thing's only an inch tall once connected to the to the gamer plate and you can you can slide it into to tight spots underneath that plate. So yeah, that's that's what I did with that. And then um, I got to thinking about it and I have a binocular mount for my tripod and the binocular mount, you know, it's just an extra thing to carry. I know a lot of people that use a small bag to put their binoculars on top of when they're, they're glassing. And I thought, well, you know what? I can probably use the gamer plate. If I were to mount the gamer plate to the tripod, I could probably use the bag that's attached to the gamer plate as a rest. So that's exactly what I did. I uh, found a cheap $12 Arca rail on eBay. And that lets me mount the gamer plate to the tripod without modifying it permanently or anything. It takes only about five seconds to put it on there. And uh, so essentially I'm running the gamer plate upside down with the bag on, on the now top side with the binoculars on top of it. So that's just one more use out of equipment that I already have. And then I've got a really sturdy tripod and I was like, you know, I'm always looking for a place to sit when I shoot. It'll actually <laughs> support me to sit down, which is nice because I know all of us when we shoot after a couple hours, you pay some good money for a, a chair. I know some people that bring stools. And when yeah. I saw the stools initially, I was like, that's stupid. And then I sat in the stool and I realized how smart that person was. <laughs> yeah. You know, and just mental fatigue and body fatigue are just those things that you could condition yourself physically to a certain extent, but there's nothing like being able to like sit down and think clearly during a match. So, uh, that's pretty much what I've done with the gamer plate. It's pretty interesting idea. Um, and I'm sure you can do that uh, binocular mount that I'm talking about almost with any other gamer plate, but by just getting an Arca rail, it'll be interesting to see if anyone else picks it up, but that's that. Uh, what else have I been messing with? Gamer plate. I did uh, scope covers for my Leica PRS. So uh, a lot of people probably have seen the fabric co covers that go over the bell housing and the objective of your scope. Yeah, there's some out There's some out now. I don't know if everybody seems like they're calling them scope chaps. Yeah, so you, scope you chaps. You kind of made, made that out of hard, so. Yeah, so the scope chats are cool because everyone has expensive scopes and I'm sure everyone abhors scratching them. I made mine out of uh, hard plastic, and when I designed mine, I actually designed the plastic a little bit wider than the chassis. 
And the reason I did that is because if you come up to a barricade that has like a nice 90 degree, uh, like a window seal or something, you can actually push the scope bell housing up against the, the barricade and be perfectly vertical. Whereas if you don't have that, uh, if your chassis is wider than the objective of your scope, if you were to push your scope all the way over, you're going to add a little cant in there. Yeah. How much, how much probably depends on, you know, your ratio to chassis, uh, chassis to objective distance. So, so how, so how did you make that? Like, how do you measure that? You take different measurements. I use calipers. Scope? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't do anything precise. I'm sure if you're a machinist on here, you probably are going to be like, Oh my goodness, what are you doing? But, <laughs> It's cheap, you know, so I'll measure something and then I'll, so for the bell, bell housing on, or the objective, you know, obviously I was able to measure the cylindrical part very easily. And then as far as the, the flare for the objective, I kind of guesstimated, okay, I'm going to build it uh, two inches back. And notionally it's in this, it's in a certain area of that flare and just measured with calipers. And it, it doesn't matter. It's plastic. It flexes, you know, it's not, it's not a critical measurement that requires a thousandth of an inch. It's going to flex to fit. Um, and if it doesn't work, guess what? I'll reprint another one and, and try it again. <laughs> yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, the next thing, what else have I printed? Oh, my uh, dope card holders. So I like, I like the, a lot of, I like the, idea of putting my dope on the scope versus on my wrist. I found when I used to put on my wrist and there's been a couple times where I adjust for a dope and maybe I lost track of what target I was on and I went to go check the dope again. And then if it's on your wrist, you got to reposition your whole body to check again. Whereas if it's, if it's mounted to your scope, you can actually quickly verify where you're at, uh, you know, just by looking over. So I prefer my dope written on, on the rifle. And I used to run a couple of the paper-based ones a while ago where you put like a piece of a three by five card into a, a clear plastic holder and it was attached by wire, which is cool. But like if you shoot anywhere where I or Jared shoots, like it gets windy um, and it, it just doesn't look that clean. Uh, windy, wet windy wet uh all the above and uh i don't know if i came up with the idea i think i saw somebody write on uh, with a grease pen on something a while back and then uh i thought oh okay so i went on ebay or amazon and i found a bunch of blank uh cards that maybe you'd print student ids on so those are pretty cheap so i it's like, okay, I want to be able to use these cards to write dope on because I can write with grease pencil on them. And the nice thing with grease pencil is uh, it wipes off real easy. And then if it rains, guess what? Grease pen sticks around. If you accidentally smudge it, like with a dry erase, if you smudge it, it disappears. Grease pen doesn't do that. So it sticks a little bit better. And instead of putting in one of those wire-based uh, holders, I just was able to print... You know, uh, I printed a dope card holder that allowed me to easily slip those cards in and out of 
and just mounted it to the rifle scope because that seems like a pretty convenient place to put it on. So that's I, I, I like it a lot. I found some uh, the ones I designed. I actually bought some a uh, component from it's a photography sort of friction plate. So you can increase or decrease the friction. It was like eight bucks for it, but you can increase or decrease the amount of tension to allow the car to move, which is cool. Uh, well, and that is that the one where it kind of works like an elbow, so you can move it around. It's like the mm -hmm. ball. It has so you, two elbows. Yeah, it. there's two elbows in it, and then there's a screw that pinches two plates together, and you can degree increase or decrease the, the the tension on that plate with the screw. And it really allows you to get quite a bit of movement. And also, too, it allows you to get it out of the way. Because uh, sometimes that, sco the, that dope card gets in the way. This allows you to actually get it completely flat. Or if you want to actually angle it up high so you can see it on the other side of the rifle, it gives you that flexibility. So it, I like that a lot. Um, and then I guess we'll do my, my next one. It's not even technically a 3d printed part but i did get to where i'm at using 3d 3d printed parts so when i first started shooting matches i'm sure i was like a lot of people where i had a, a kestrel and a cell phone and i had these pieces of paper and i between that and ammo and stuff like i always found myself running around between my tripod to look at my through my uh binoculars or uh, spotting scope to loading my ammo to finding a pen to the Kestrel like I was running around a lot losing a lot of time and especially when you're new at it that's mental power that you're wasting on just trying to get ready for a stage much less you, you shoot the stage so I came up with an idea to attach something to my tripod so uh, I 3d printed a device that allowed me to hold my Kestrel and my cards and my pen all on the tripod, which was that helped consolidate a lot of my traveling back and forth. But then, you know, the magazine is still away. And then my stage description, if you get a printed stage description, that was still in my pocket. Sometimes I wouldn't put it in the same place. If you sweat, you're going to sweat. Like if you go to heat stroke, you better have oh, that thing with a couple layers between you and the paper. Cause don't, yeah, don't put it in your back pocket because yeah. you know what happens then. Right. Uh, and then it's windy everywhere we go around the Midwest. It's windy. So good chance to lose it. And you know, if you're, if you write notes on there, that's information that's gone that you invested thought and time to in before. So it did reduce the amount of running around I was doing, but it, it still, I mean, everything can be optimized. And then it added quite a bit of bulk to the tripod, which doesn't sound like it's a big deal. But when you're picking the, the tripod is as as long and ungangly almost as your rifle. So any of the crazy protrusions from it are just going to bug you all day. Like it sucks to carry the tripod, but you get enough information on it that you justify carrying it. <laughs> so... Yeah. I tried some different mounting solutions, um, but ultimately where I landed up, and I haven't actually tried this on a match, but I kind of took a cue from the pilot community. So the pilot community uses, uh, you know, they've got various data, obviously, to fly the plane. 
they've got checklists and other other whatnot but they a lot of them use what's called a knee board and a knee board pretty much it, it consolidates all this information this critical information that they need they can't necessarily memorize into one spot and it's nice because it mounts to your leg so um it's mounted to their leg because you know the aircraft moves around etc but it's in plain sight there's a lot of good ergonomic reasons they use the knee board and i was like you know what that seems like a really good idea so i end up buying a, a knee board and the knee board has a clip why is the clip important well because it's windy so everywhere we shoot you know even even if you have all your stuff in the same place between having a kestrel in your hand having a pen in the other you still got to figure out a way to hold down the piece of paper right <laughs> you know um so Putting all this stuff on a clipboard is great, but a normal clipboard is huge. A kneeboard is relatively small. So I bought one from it's called uh, it's a Flyboys reversible, and I bought it just because it's got Velcro all over it, which is makes it very uh, modular. So the clipboard allows you to a you can mount your stage description in one spot, um, and then also I can put my dope card on the exact same surface and put it underneath the clip. And that allows me to quickly look at the dope or look at the stages and then write that on the card. Cause sometimes, you know, jumping between the two, you're, you're asking like five times, what was the distance? What was the distance? Drives me crazy. Just pay attention the first time, dude. <laughs> yeah. Easier said than done. Is it, there's always some. Right. I mean, and I've, I've done it too, you know, Yeah. Uh, but this puts it on, on the piece of paper right in front of you. You don't have to go digging through your pockets. Um, you mount the, the dope card to it, and then um, on the side pockets, I've got my Kestrel mounted, so you can just uh, pull your Kestrel up real quick in one hand, and because the card is being held down on your knee, you can put the pen in the other hand and, and write, and you quickly get your dope from your left hand to your right hand without putting things down on the ground. I don't know how many people have lost a Kestrel, but I, quite a few people that I know have lost a Kestrel because they put it down somewhere and they forgot it, etc. Um, and then I, most of the time I dope my, dope my stuff off of a phone anyway. So I have a spot that mounts my phone. The cool thing about this knee board, and I'm pretty sure it's universal along amongst many knee boards is not only does it have a clip on, on the board, but there's a strap that goes across the middle of the page and the strap is also clear. So you're not obscuring any review because it's designed all to get information off of. So that allows me to get my my weather, my dope, my stage description, my dope card, all in one spot. Now, potentially, what you can do is what you can say, well, you still need to get your ammo. So what I'm going to do is uh, I ordered a Velcro sheet. Normally, these uh, knee boards would have a bunch of checklists and stuff on them. And there's a spot on the knee boards where you can put a bunch of steel rings to attach checklists and stuff. I'm going to use those steel rings to attach a Velcro sheet instead of a, a checklist. And then there's a, I think it's STM makes a ammo binder with elastic uh, round holders that allow you to 
they're Velcroed on, so you could pull them out and put them in, almost like you would uh, card like cards into a collection book or something like that. Or um, what's that craft called when you're cutting photos, putting collages, oh, um, picture booking? Yeah, picture book. Yeah. What, yeah. what the hell is that thing? Whatever that is. Uh, but you can put your those ammo strips in their binder. Well, I'm going to try to put it on that Velcro uh, sheet, and that allow me to carry. I'm thinking I can do three rows. If it's only two rows, that'll let me carry 24 rounds. And if it's three rows, it'll let me carry. I think it's 36 rounds total. So that should be enough to do two or three stages. And as those strips become vacant, I can just get another strip and and throw it on there. So theoretically what I should be able to do is read the stage description and know how many rounds I need and load my ammo, you know, and I, I throw my mags in a dump pouch anyway. So it's, it theoretically, it's going to be all there. Um, I guess one thing that I do that's a little bit different than most people is when I glass for a stage, I actually try to get as low as I can to the ground because where we shoot, it's windy. And the taller your tripod is, the more vibration you're going to get in. So I've gotten to a practice where I just sit on top of a game changer and that allows me to get practically as low as I'm going to get comfortably. Um, so my knees are already up. You know, if you're standing, this method probably doesn't work very well for you. But if you're popping a squat on top of a game changer, this, me this method probably work out pretty well. So, but you know, all that happened because I was able to test these different ideas via a 3d printer and I was getting kind of close to where I wanted, but you know, there's still room for improvement, room for improvement. This won't necessarily be 3D printed initially. Actually, there are going to be a couple things I 3D print to get this idea to work. Uh, more, most of it will be the interfaces with the, the the Velcro, so I get a flat surface to mount certain things on. But you know, it gives you no fear to go try something, sort of thing. But those are my big projects. Oh, and then last time I think we talked, I think I told you that I was making some, what I were calling like vibration dampeners for my MDT ACC. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is one of those things where you have an idea in your head and you want to see if it works. I I don't think it, it matters uh, to have those vibration dampeners or not. And the reason I think that is, is because the it's just not enough mass there there's so much aluminum on that whole whole chassis that a couple pieces of plastic isn't enough to dampen all that reverberation going through all that aluminum it's just a couple pieces uh you know the 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 weight the things that i was printing the vibration dampeners were the exact same size as the internal weights on the mdt acc and i only had three of those in there so it's not very much surface area but i was able to try it out to see if it was something of merit i'm not going to waste my time with it you know? <laughs> yeah but it's cool to try out so yeah they, i like i like your knee board idea we'll have to get some pictures up just for people that don't have an idea because i i use my tripod as high which actually you mentioned getting as low as you can which I might have to try that just because you can see, you'll be able to see the mirage that you're going to see when you're shooting, basically, other than a foot. Other, otherwise, you're five foot or six foot above where you're shooting. You might not see the mirage as well. Second thing is I'm always 
bending down, I'm loading, I'm usually loading my magazine on my boot just so I have something firm to push my, my magazine down on and, and use my thumb saver or whatever I'm using. And yeah, that knee board would, would pay everything right there. We definitely yeah, got to get pictures because that, that cleared, the clear strap that you sent the video of with your phone underneath it, underneath it. Like, yeah, that it's pretty slick. I think it's going to, going to set everything up to where it's all right in one spot or no running around like you was talking about, which I don't, I don't think I do much running around. I usually put my backpack that I'm carrying on top of my rifle, on top of my tripod. It's usually sitting right underneath my tripod, but there's a lot of up and down trying to write everything down like he's talking about. So I think a knee board. Yeah, I mean, there've been times where I just left my dope card in my rifle, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I was like, ah, crap. Well, I've got extra cards now consolidated or sometimes you, uh, you're just, be, there's been a couple of times you can, all this stuff you can manage, you know, mentally, if you're skilled, if you're skilled at this and you're, you do this all the time, it's probably a second thought to you because you're so fluid in movements it doesn't matter um i'm not one of those people 600 rounds down rain week like me i go out once twice a month do matches maybe well lately not very much but back when i was doing it in the kprc maybe twice a month for six months you know so and i'm always incorporating new gear anyway so that kind of disrupts my my flow so you gotta consolidating i think is gonna help out yeah well i think it's part of it i don't i don't think i know anybody that's in this game that doesn't tinker like you're not trying to shoot your rifle and get as small groups as you can like this is just part of that i think is you're just tinkering you're trying to better whatever you've got as a system and you're trying to make it better more efficient doing whatever i think i that applies to a lot of precision shooters in general. Yeah, I think so. just naturally. I mean, you have you have a line of people that are shooters, and then you have a gear uh, gear nuts. And I think most people are in in between the two. Obviously, you got people that like bias one way or another to more shooter and more gear driven. I'm definitely more give, driven towards the gear, but everyone's somewhere in the middle, you know, in this game. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, I'm all about it. If it makes life easier, I'm going to give it a shot. It might not work. Like you were talking about, you might print something that doesn't work. It might not work, but what am I out if I buy a knee board for 20 bucks or 30 bucks off Amazon compared to running around losing my, how many, how many people have seen a stage description or a stage or a, a book flying across the range, especially here in the Midwest, because you let go of it or you set it down or whatever impact. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. Some people may not, may not deal with it, but I definitely yeah, Kansas. We, we, we've, I mean, Kansas, Oklahoma, you've got wind that uh, you, you've got to factor in. And I mean, it, it's so bad that it will knock over tripods. I've, I've broke a couple spotting scopes where the, the wind just knocked over my tripod and that's another reason I get down low is, uh, yeah. is, uh, so yeah, I mean, the higher you have your tripod, not only is it structurally less stable, but that's more surface area. The wind is catching and reverberating on. So getting yeah. low, 
and then the other thing it does help with, um, if you think about it, if you're trying to read Mirage that's coming off the ground, the closer you are to the ground, the more pronounced the Mirage is going to be. So, and sometimes that hurts. Like there's so much Mirage that you can't cut through it. Okay. That's not that effective, but if you're not seeing Mirage down low, you're definitely not seeing it up high. So it's one of those things that I, everything being lower to the ground is, is better in my case. And then when you go to pick up your tripod to go to the next stage, well, it's already collapsed. So that's one less thing you have to un, unscrew the, the legs to push them back in sort of, sort of practice. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't shot many other places, but you know it here, up here where we shoot majority of the time down at, at Justin's at foul bore, like you have a walk. If you go from stage one to the last state, like you're walking a quarter mile to maybe even more and not, not collapsing your, your tribal isn't an option. Like you're, right. you're trying you're, to yeah. consolidate, make everything as small as you can. Yeah. There's definitely, I, yeah. Once in a while you'll see the guys with the wagons and you want to make fun of them, <laughs> but in your head, you're like, I wish I had that wagon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want to throw throw stuff on their wagon and just tote along with them. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I carry, I'm sure just like a lot of people, I carry too much gear because I think everything is super important and how much do I normally use? I probably actually use 30% of my gear that I bring out. So, yeah. Yeah, same here. But yeah, would yeah, I definitely have to get some pictures up of it. I think the kneeboard definitely gonna help people out. Obviously, 3D printing, people have to find somebody with 3D printer. We were talking off off the recording that my daughter is in uh, middle school and she's doing some engineer classes and she's getting ready to 3D print. She actually let me know the other day, so she'll end up figuring it out way before I do. I have no idea what how to do any of this stuff. So hopefully, I can get her. And anymore, I don't know how much yours cost, but shoot, anymore they're they're pretty. Yeah, like, you can get them. Uh, so the one I bought is pretty popular, but it's pretty expensive. I think it's just under seven hundred, eight hundred bucks to buy brand new. Um, and it's really nice. It's really good. It it has a lot of features in it, but it's getting to the point. You know, normally what happens is the first product out, and then there's the the race for the quality and then the race for the bottom dollar like like you've seen in scopes is okay for who whoever has first focal plane scopes out are going to sell and then it went from that to okay nice first focal plane scopes and now we're getting to the point of who can make a high quality scope for a reasonable price sort of thing that's kind of where 3d printers are at now is can you get a decent quality 3d printer for a decent amount of money and the answer is yes you, yeah. know, you can get uh I think uh, Chad's got a Ender 3, which is uh, just, you know, a particular brand that I think you can get them for $250, $300. So if you think about it, yeah, it's a little bit of money, but, you know, to test any of these things out, like if I were to go buy a gamer plate, not to say that my 3D printer is 3D printed one is good as a, a, a you know, a gray ops or anything like that, but it gives me a really rough idea of what it's going to operate like real quick and if i want to buy one later i will or in my case i just designed it to the way i want it anyway yeah. so and i think a lot of us buy stuff out of curiosity too like maybe your send it level that you were talking about i'm sure a big part part of that was curiosity and oh yeah it sounds well, like it's, 
almost a hundred percent. It just happens to work out for me right now. It like, happens to work out. Yeah. Yeah. But I've bought a couple things that I've been like, Mwah. it's been la it's lackluster after you buy it sort of thing. So. Yeah. Well, that's the same thing too. That you buy something well then, and we've talked about it on other episodes that you buy it and then you're selling it for 50% of what you bought it for because it wasn't yeah. what you expected or what you wanted. So yeah, I, that's, that's part of the I, game. But if you're building your own, then shoot, just keep on playing. You know, it's pennies on the dollar compared to, and to I buying can, one. I can print something faster than I can have it shipped. You know, yeah. I can go well, from uh, a thought to printed and wake up in the morning with it done. If it's yeah. a large object too, or like even have it same afternoon uh, afterwards. Like one of the things that I was working on, uh, I haven't given up on the idea, but for my Annealies, uh annealer, I shoot Dasher and BRA cases. So that requires a certain size wheel. Well, you need to get those wheels to a certain thickness because the wheels that are on the Annealies are plastic and you're trying to get the, the plastic away from the flame. Yeah, try not to burn it. I've, I've been there, done that. Well, so what I thought is I'm going to print a form and then use cement. Maybe not cement, but uh, uh, a mortar, same type of mortar that goes into a fireplace. This is one of those ideas that didn't work out well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Because the curing temperature for that stuff, by the way, is like 500 degrees. Oh, and for me to get it to cure before I pull it out of the mold is not practical. Like if I had a, a furnace, I can, I can get it to work. I thought about putting it in my grill. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, get that but super hot. I would rather just not do that. You know, I've had plenty of things that I was going to print that didn't work out. So. Yeah. Well, but that's, I think like you're talking about, like gray ops definitely has some, some awesome stuff. But by the time you, you buy it, have it shipped, you could almost have a 3d printer and build as many as you want Yep. for pennies on the dollar, you know, which I think that's where Chad's at actually. Like he's, he's got his smelter and he's, he's doing a lot of tinkering right. between the 3d printer and that stuff. So yeah, it, it all depends on how much, you know, you want to play with stuff or you just want to buy it and have it. I mean, it's just like anything else. I've, I've done uh, angled bag riders and I've played around with the different angles to see if there was any merit there. And then I even made one with adjustable angle. I shoot flat now, but I just shoot a straight flat one. But, you know, uh, I know there's a lot of people that say I want a, I want a stock with an angle to it versus a, a grip, you know. And it, obviously it's all preference, but until you take the exact same chassis and don't change any other variable other than the one variable, it's kind of hard to isolate what you like or don't like, you know. So you can – it's really easy to print those. Those are – takes like two or three hours for the machine to print so yeah yeah i might have to might have to start playing with one i'm sure my my daughter will come home we'll end up getting one just for her to play with because i have to have her do it to show me what's going on but yeah if you buy one remember you're gonna have to work on it so don't lose no. patience <laughs> man yeah i'll keep you on speed dial maybe maybe chad's and yeah. he's a little closer busy yeah yeah, but I, I don't know. That just falls into the tinkering piece. Like once you start doing that stuff, I mean, you're you're prone to messing with stuff anyway. So. Well, yeah. So the the printers are so there's so many parts that you can change on a printer. It's like an AR-15. Like it's its own it's its own little hobby in amongst itself. And you tell yourself, well, I'm just buying it for this one thing. I'm not going to be upgrading it. 
you're a fool if you believe that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like the reloading piece because you're yeah, going exactly. to save, you're yeah, gonna save a, money. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. get into reloading because I'm only going to reload this one bullet and this one caliber. And <laughs> yeah. a couple thousand dollars later, yeah, you're. And reloading in itself is its own hobby. You know, it's yeah. it's a hop, hobby that's complementary to this precision rifle stuff. But yeah, well, cool, man. We'll, have to, we'll definitely have to get up some pictures. But I think people will definitely want to see some some of what you built. Yeah, yeah. Definitely want to check out the gamer plate, the uh, knee board, just for folks that don't realize it. I don't. I've always seen a knee board from my job and air force and everything else, but I never thought about putting it together with what we're doing now. So yeah, that, that definitely cool. I think I'm going to get on Amazon and start checking some of them out. Yeah. I bought a clipboard a long time ago and then I thought in my head, Oh, it'd be cool to have this clipboard out there. Especially if you're like, um, in a large squad trying to hurt the cats, like somebody needs to keep score. I normally am the one that just keeps the damn scorecard and keeps score, you know. Uh, but carrying a whole clipboard is freaking huge. They're huge. And then um, I thought, oh, I'll mount it to a tripod. Well, as much wind as we have, that's not that's just a sail. Yeah. It's not going to work out very well. Um, so, but the kneeboards, you know, it's small enough where you can carry a piece of paper. It might have to fold it once. Okay. But. That, that that's a very small inconvenience sort of thing. So yeah, Google uh, Google Pilot Kneeboard if you want to really see what I'm talking about. And then the brand that I got is a uh, Flyboys, and I think their model is called Reversible. That's how I found it. Amazon it was like about forty four bucks. It got to me in three days. Yeah, yeah, I definitely check check that stuff out. But all right, you got any shout outs on uh, this one? Um, I'm going to shout out to, they're, they're probably not going to hear this, but, uh, my buddies, John and Ricky Hernandez, so they're brothers, but I always go shooting with them. We've done a lot of practice and whatnot. They're, they're primarily the ones that I go out to foul board to go shoot with in Oklahoma. So shout out to those guys. All right. Definitely. I'll try and try and find them on here. If they're on social media, we'll try and find them, tag them on here, but. All right, man. I appreciate it. We'll just love to try and get some pictures up to to add to it so the listeners can see see what's going on they've been hearing about. But I appreciate you coming on. Unless you got any other shutouts, we'll, we'll get off here. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you later.